Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with Amy Del Mar, who helps keep her clients in the news. We talked about press releases, how things have changed over the years in publicity, and how you can get publicity for yourself. So keep listening if you want to be in the news. Amy, I'm really glad that you've joined me here on Brand Appeal. And just one, one question for you. What would you like to be known for? Public relations is a passion of mine. It's been an incredible almost three decades of doing it. When I started, public relations wasn't even a word. There was no major. I was an English major in college. I didn't learn about public relations to my second job back in the 80s. What public relations was doing goodwill and selling, but selling in a way that you were interacting to help the client um, not only understand your product, but to but to see it, let them see the benefits of it. And I loved it. I, I fell in love with it. I was just graduating university when I first heard about PR and mm-hmm. that they were going to have this course back east. Of course, I couldn't afford to go back east and I couldn't afford to go to university back again. I did volunteer for to do some PR in various cancer uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up in finance, tried to get into PR later on in life, but never really did. I just do some publicity for people. You're a branding yeah. person. When I was in corporate America, and my last job was as a director of marketing, that was my last corporate job. And I only did like 2% of PR in all of my marketing job, from a marketing assistant to a coordinator to a manager. And when I went out on my own, and I had to figure out what service was I going to provide that I loved doing and that clients would gain value from. And it was public relations. Public relations has the most ROI of all the marketing disciplines. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I love to do. And in the 2% of time that I did it, 60-hour work weeks in corporate America, I established a, a database of reporters and producers. My target client so to speak, would be a small business that doesn't have a in-house marketing department, but has a great story and wants to grow. And I've been doing this for 16 years. I never thought I would leave corporate America. I was a corporate soldier. I'm not entrepreneurial or brave or a risk taker. I needed to drive my children. <laughs> and they were in, going into high school and they didn't want a babysitter anymore. Yeah. And I left corporate America because they had made the varsity soccer team and they needed a mom. And you know what? I went back to work when they were four weeks old and uh, I have twins. And that's how I got involved. And it's been wonderful 16 years. Oh my God. How did you go back to work when your kids were only four weeks old? When you don't have a choice, that's how you do it. I was working for a a modular construction firm. My sons were born May 29th and the requests for proposals were due by July 15th. And the presence of the company was very, he had twins too, but he had a stay at home wife. He was very nice. And he said, of course, I'm going to hold your position, but I need somebody to write the proposals. So either it's you or I hire somebody else and you could do something when you get ready to come back. At that time, my husband and I wanted to buy a house. I needed that job. And I had somebody with to help me with them. People say, how do you do it? You just do it. You do what you have to do. 
Yeah, you do what you have to do. You know what? It is hard. I mean, it must have been so hard. Shannon, I I live in New Jersey. My family is out of state. My ex-husband traveled extensively. My sons went through live-ins, live-outs, daycare. I mean, uh, people coming into the home that I was referred to me that I barely knew I had to go run an event. I had to leave for two hours, 15 year old girls that I thought were like so mature. You just do what you have to do. And I felt so guilty. And when they were 18 or 19, I remember apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry that I was always working and never around. And they said, mom, what are you talking about? You were always around. Amy, isn't that the truth? Yes, yes. So, and now I'm fortunate enough that that this became profitable and I I mentor other young women who want to go into business, start their own businesses. What you say is so true because those mothers out there right now that are feeling torn about being home or with their kids, one thing that you do learn, your kids do not remember the first 10 years. The kids are so resilient. And, you know, these are my only children. It was just a combination of I didn't know what I was doing. And somehow they got raised and they're upstanding citizens. They're 30 year old men. And I couldn't be prouder. But honestly, my advice to other working moms going up the ladder, working moms that left to go home to be a full time mom, hated it, came back full-time moms that never went to work and hated it being home all the time. So everybody has a story and everybody has to find their own path, but children are resilient. And as long as you do it with love, they'll be fine. Hey, as long as you're doing what you need to do for your family, you've made Mm -hmm. the right decision. Yes. Yes. I made a lot of decisions that I never thought I would have to make. Find it interesting. I mean, as a Canadian, Mm-hmm. We're very blessed because we get the year, which Wonderful. I think now is longer even. But I knew it was a year when I had my daughter. And there was six months when I had my son and a year when I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. My son, it was six months and it was hard. I can't. And then I didn't go back after my daughter until she was four. And then I went back. So when he said four weeks, I, I'm sorry, I, I hit on that. I just see these two little babies and it must have been so hard for you. It, the, the good news is I was working 10 minutes from my house. So it wasn't. Oh. And I would run home my lunch hour and I had good help. I, I had help that I trusted. I had a lovely, a lovely woman and she had been with me since they were three days old and she really did a great job. I always said this, she was a better mom than I ever could have been <laughs> at that point. She, yeah. had, she had been, you know, she, this was her job. She knew children. I didn't know what I was doing, you know? Yeah, yeah there's that. <laughs> <laughs> So PR, you've been doing PR for 16 years. Wow. No, no, no. I've been doing PR for 35 years. 35 years, but you've been in your business for 16. Yes. So you've been in your business for for 16 years Mm -hmm. and you're loving it. I love it. You know, like any solopreneur, you have to do everything. You have to find the client. You have to serve the client. You have to build the client. You have to chase the client for your money once you mm. fill them. And you have to get them in the news. That's my tagline, keeping you in the news. It's, you constantly have to keep them, all of them getting visibility and generating awareness so that their business grows. That is the whole point of what I do to help my clients grow. Mm-hmm. How has PR changed in the last 16 years? Everything has changed. Um, 
in the old days, when you wanted to send a press release out, you did it by mail. The press release in an envelope and you put a stamp on it. And one week later, you call the editor. Now, when you pitch, do it by email. I pitch by Twitter. I pitch, you know, wherever the producer or the reporter is. Text them. Phone pitch. It's a whole different market. And a lot of the newspapers are gone. Mm -hmm. And it's a much smaller consolidated. And because the news is 24-7, it's very difficult because you have to tie in the national news with what you're pitching. And right now, and and been for a long time now, what we're pitching with what the national news has been has not been very positive. Right. You kind of have to take something and, you know, oh, so there's COVID, Okay, well, that's bad, but I have a client that has a service that antimicrobial uh, sprays that treat surfaces. Mm-hmm. It's like that bad, and like we have a good res- approach to this. That's how they get onto the media. Yeah, so you're looking for, you're looking at your clients going, okay, what solutions do you offer? Okay, what, then you look at the news and go, okay, this is the problem that the news is talking about. You've got the solution, let's match this. Exactly. Actually, and, and also if a client is feeling, if they hear their their clients telling them about something that's a problem from them, we pitch that to the media because it's it's like, this is a problem for a, a group of clients. It's probably a, a problem for other people. True. My, the type of, of media I pitch are public affairs. So they're really for to educate the masses. So are you looking at traditional channels? No, everything. Facebook Live, uh, YouTube, Fox News, LinkedIn. I've had clients speak on LinkedIn. It's, there's an enormous amount of ways to get the content out. So much so that it's hard to target where their customers are. Right. So when you're talking about them being on Facebook Live or Instagram, mm-hmm. which platforms are they talking profiles are they talking on well on facebook live they're running like a seminar type of on their own profile or are you getting them on another no no on their own on their own profile okay yeah but but mostly my clients are on podcasts like yours Mm -hmm. you know and they're on radio shows most of them business oriented in the newspapers in magazines i i represent a um a marriage a couples therapist and she also was uh, certified in sex therapy you know when i first got her as a client i said okay you know baby boomers they're going through the gray divorce this was you know i've had her for a number of years now that was what was big so that's what i'm pitching all of a sudden i started getting reporters you know, wanting to interview her from Martha Stewart, uh, weddings, um, wedding wire, they're not like young. And this shocked me, young couples, young in their late twenties, early thirties, yeah. saw their parents get divorced. They hear about, you know, how difficult it is to, you know, with intimacy, with all the social media around them. And they want to know how to, preserve that before they get married or work on yeah so it's been a fun ride with her (laughs) actually that's that's really an interesting thing because you're right it is kind of an interesting time where run into families that are blended twice over 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You were able to look at this trend of divorce Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it was a trend that started in the late 80s and has among among baby boomers. It was baby boomers in the late 80s. Oh, it's interesting, though, that you're able to see these trends and go, okay, I can get my client talking about these things with media, new and traditional. And then you find new audiences because of Mm it. All because by them being in the media, they created a name for themselves. Right. Like my sex therapist called me and said, uh, you You got some interesting clients. I really do. I'm so fortunate. Most of my clients are reward winning small businesses. When I say small, I mean from a solopreneur person to a international environmental engineering firm. Wow. And it's, it's very exciting. And, um, but she got hired just from a woman checking out her website. She got a phone call. She said, I'm between my husband and I are looking for counseling. I'm between two therapists. You have media. She doesn't. I choose you. Nice. And, and I was excited because that's ultimately the goal. Yeah, it's, my clients enjoy being on television. They enjoy being on the radio. But Shannon, if they weren't growing, then they would not be keeping, they would not be doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because especially if you're getting them onto those platforms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these aren't fly-by-night types of people. Right. And, and I get them onto those platforms because... Because that's what I do. That's what I love to do. That's relationships. I have, I have two sets of clients. I have my media contacts clients and I have my retained clients. I've always told my media contacts, if you can't find a source for somebody or something you need, write me, email me. I have a web of other PR practitioners that we co-compete, like we're friendly competitors. Collaborators. And, and collaborators and they might have a source and a lot oftentimes they do and the same thing comes back to me I get you know hi I'm a reporter from this publication I called my trusted PR person she doesn't have that client that source I need but she said try you I'm like yes I do have that source and then my client gets you know gets in the media so um and it's fun when they when they do I have to tell you that, you know, there is so much rejection in this job. Oh, yeah. So much. But when I get a hit, I feel the same way I did 30 years ago. I mean, it is just makes it all worthwhile. Well, I know, like I have one client and the marketing person, I would say, well, I'm sending out a pitch here. I'm sending out a pitch here. I'm sending out a pitch there too for the CEO of the company. I didn't realize that the marketing person was keeping a list. Mm hmm. He goes, well, did you, we get this one? Well, when's this one being published? When's this one being published? I'm like, dude, these are your pitches. I don't know if they're even going to get picked up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A lot of, I'm not keeping a list because if I kept a list, I, I down a bottle of pills. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, public relations, like any other discipline, it's a problem. It's a process. Yeah. People, you know, like people say to me, well, new new prospective clients, well, how soon, how soon does it work? I don't know. I don't even know you. When we start to work together and we start to put together a strategic plan 
a targeted strategic plan, then we can start to see if there's progress. If not, we will try another targeted strategic plan. And it's worked. It's worked. I can't tell them, oh, it's going to be, you're going to be on, on Forbes in three weeks from Tuesday. But when the publicity happens, it just opens up. Can't they be on Forbes if they pay Forbes a thousand bucks? They could, but that's not, that's not earned media. I only do earned media. (laughs) No, no, I I don't agree with paying Forbes a thousand dollars. I'm just saying that I think that degrades their brand. Well, a lot of my job is explaining to my clients the difference between advertising and public relations. And I say, advertising is what you pay for. Publicity is what you pray for. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get an article in a magazine and within, I don't know, 30 seconds, the ad person's on the phone. Oh, they're going to be in an article. Do they want to place a half page for colors ad for $4,000? No, that cheapens the value of the editorial content. That's right. In my mind. I think it does, too, because it meant that you paid, you paid paid to be there, which exactly if you are an expert, Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people seen as experts in their market. Correct. You know, this isn't a company that you're interviewing the CEO. That's different. You know, like it is different because if the CEO is there to talk about the company and what the company is going to be doing and not talking about a problem or a solution or as an expert on a bigger story. Mm -hmm. And that's a commercial. Right. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we do some media training too, because a lot of, for most of my clients, I am their first publicist and they don't know what to do with me. So it's a lot of guiding, handholding. The only time your company is mentioned is there's a graphic under your, as you're talking, there's a graphic going under saying your name and the name of your company. You can't sit there and say, oh, hire my company and we'll do this for you. That's a commercial. They want to do commercials. They want to get on with a microphone in front of them and they want to say, well, at my company, this is how we do it. No, no. This is how we solve this problem. And this is how it could benefit people like you, not my company, just the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. And I happen to be the person telling you that. And I tell my clients by by speaking, by writing, by peering anywhere, you become the expert just because you are the one in front of the room. In Canada, we have very short elections. Our election was six weeks. Okay. <laughs> I'm used to getting people, not journalists, but bloggers and podcasters the new media want Mm -hmm. to talk to clients. That's easy. That's friendly. But I was the campaign manager for a candidate in the look in the last election. Mm -hmm. And I got him some publicity and learned the other side of the news, which was the investigative side. They were very on the other side of the political spectrum as a journalist and very, you know, attacked a, a bit more than I would have appreciated. What you could do once that happens. I've done crisis communicate. There are the two different types. There is the publicity where you're getting your experts a, a quote in an article because the journalist or writer just needs someone to quote. Mm-hmm. And those are very friendly, easy. I like those. Right. What I'm talking about is on the other end, when I'm talking to an actual journalist, journalist who's trying to 
skew a story a certain way and you're on the other side of that story, how do you manage that? Well, first of all, all my clients, before they go anywhere, get talking points. And the talk, once they're approved by the client, I send it to the producer or the reporter. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have a framework of what my client is going to speak about. That does not mean they don't go off talking points. They do all the time. The type of shows I get my clients on are not investigative. So I don't have many circumstances like that, but there was one in particular. I was representing a lawyer. She had a sensational case that she could not talk about, but she could talk about the issues because the issues were, she couldn't talk names or anything about the case. It was a 17-year-old girl she was representing. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten that lawyer on show not to talk about anything about that case but to talk about you know what she does and why she's an expert at what she does and they are talking points and they sit down and within 15 minutes they go okay now we want to bring up that case and she said I can't talk about it because it's still in litigation I can't speak of oh okay well you know we know this we've read that can you can you acknowledge that can you validate that over and over to the point where it's just obnoxious yes but she remained composed I mean and she at the end of the interview she like turned around to them and she said that was like horrible what you did to me and they said look you're not here for your benefit. This is our station. And this is a story we want to talk about. I didn't go back there again. Yeah, they did approach me for something else. And I said, um, no, because you were told we cannot talk about tar- this topic. And that's the only topic you wanted to talk about. Sometimes it's not a bad thing. It's just they ask a question out of the blue, like um, my environmental engineering firm. They had one of the vice presidents on a morning drive show. And they yeah, had all the talking points. They were going to talk about, you know, Superstorm Sandy and the mess that it caused and all of that. And all of a sudden they're like asking my client, like, Oh, so like, what do you think about the weather and the atmosphere? And he's not like a meteorologist. <laughs> and they're just asking these questions. And he was very good. He was great. He was he he said nothing, but he did it in such a way that you thought he was answering the question. Oh. He smiled, he shook his head, like he was getting deep thought. And slowly he steered it back to Superstorm Sandy. I would think that in in that case. If they wanted to talk about something to do with the, the environment or the weather, that they would go to find that specific expert on that source. I don't believe there was any harm meant, but it wasn't something that he really was qualified to talk about or felt qualified to talk about. And he just handled it so beautifully with just sitting back, folding his arms, shaking his head, like looking like he was giving it tremendous consideration. <laughs> And not saying anything. And and that's really the best way to handle it. In terms of political candidates, I have never represented one. I would probably find that terrifying because... It was interesting. I mean, let's just say, I'm glad that it was six weeks. (laughs) Yes, yes. Because you know what? Those type of reporters, they want to find the skeletons in the closet. Look, sensationalism sells. and, And it's always sold. That's not something new age. That's always been, I mean, I remember there was an event that I was doing and we put so much work into it and so much work and the client kept saying, well, 
can you guarantee, can you guarantee how many people are going to be? And I said, listen, I mean, after like weeks of this, I said, listen, the only way I can guarantee that the media is going to come is if you lay in the middle of the street and get hit by a car. I learned by baptism, by fire. Well, I left Seagram's, moved to New Jersey, and I got a job in a modular construction firm. And it was so interesting. It was the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And they were building modular for Saudi Saudi Arabia. So they were building modular embassies. The mayor of the town where the company was, was a politician that was very well known, who eventually became governor. Mm-hmm. And we were going to have a huge walkthrough event. And I had all of the media lined up, all the big media lined up. They had food. There was a, a terrible thing that had happened in another town like an hour away. Literally, the walkthrough was called at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. At one o'clock, the jury came in on that trial. Oh, no. No media showed. Because they're all at the trial. They were all at the trial. It was national news, this trial. And um, the president of the company looked at me and I looked at him. I <laughs> we could freeze this we could freeze this and put it in containers like what you know for the food that's what what happens you plan and you plan and you plan and and when it goes right it's wonderful and when it doesn't go right it's it's bad but Mm -hmm. you have to find the silver lining and the silver lining was that the mayor of that town who became the governor of the state a few years later he he really talked up the company. The media followed him around. It wasn't a total disaster. (laughs) (laughs) You you got the payment later on. I remember another publicist that I have collaborated with. They were talking about some kind of airplane thing and flying an airplane. And she said, well, that's what public relations is. You're like flying blind. You're trying to navigate the territory, flying blind. And that stayed with me because sometimes that's what it feels like. Though you always try to be strategic and targeted. Sometimes you feel like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to build it and the media will come. And sometimes they do. And sometimes jury comes in. And sometimes the the jury comes in and what are you going to do? What are you going to do when that happens? You get your client on CNBC and the reporter gets sick and the episode is canceled after she had her hair blown out. I mean, I have 35 years of these stories. You know, we get to CNBC, she had her hair blown out and we get there and they tell us the reporter's ill and they don't have a reporter to stand by because all the reporters are on site, different locations and they have to reschedule. And she like stood there dumbfounded. I said, we have to come back. And she already got my hair blown out. Like, okay, I know that looks pretty, but there's no reporting here. You have to manage so many expectations, not just the client, but you have to also manage the media because you don't want to like turn around to CNBC and say, well, I'm angry. That's ridiculous. I, I'm not going to stand for that. You get a reporter here now. Can't do that. No, you can't do that. Can't you, do you, that. Have to, you have to be flexible and you have to go with right. you have to understand some things are unforeseen. Correct. Most things are unforeseen. So you plan and you try to see every side, what could possibly go wrong. And as my mother told me when I was 10 years old, stop worrying because what's going to go wrong is something you could not even think of. Wow. What great advice. That has served me for half a century. 
That's good advice. Amazing advice. That's great advice. It's great advice because we do the best I can. I'm, I feel very grateful and very fortunate that my clients have stayed with me. Most of them since I went out on my, you know, since I started publicity has been phenomenal because they're interesting, not because I'm so great at all, because they're interesting and they have good stories and they want to help. They want to share their knowledge and they're genuine and authentic. I'm really curious mm-hmm. about the tone and professionalism and differences between those journalists that are professional journalists or trained and went to school and got hired on by news. Mm-hmm. And those of us who plug in a microphone and say, Hey, come talk to us. We're, you know, new media. Well, <laughs> What's the different approaches that you take to both sides? I don't think that it's because somebody has been trained. I mean, professional journalists that got, that have gone to school and have a degree in journalism and mostly writers I find that the people that are new to this, I find that as long as they're nice and pleasant, the experience is positive. I don't think there's any strategies that they're not doing that the professionally trained people. I mean, look, there's a radio host in New Jersey that he's in the the broadcast hall of fame. He's amazing. You just listen to him talk on the radio and you can hear how great he is. There's no holes. There's no pauses. When a guest doesn't show up, you don't even know he fills in. I mean, that just comes with experience. Yes, he's a pro. But when it comes to where you want to focus your energies for your clients, Mm -hmm. do you have a strategy for that and where you put them and where you position them? Yes. Absolutely. I position them, first of all, so that their clients can hear what they're doing. And sometimes their clients are just larger firms that do the same thing, but they are good referral sources. We do a lot of business shows. We do a lot of consumer type of shows, especially in accounting when it's such a dry, boring topic. I get my clients, my accountants to talk about, well, what do you want to do if you want to buy a boat, but you're retiring? What do you do? And, oh, we do this strategy. You know, we do this chart. Just gives information, but not in a boring, dried, like, okay, well, we're going to go on QuickBooks now and figure something out. Relate it to what somebody can relate to. You train them, give them the, not the words, but the framework. Right. I give them the talking to tell the story. Right. To tell the story and to fit it into what the outlet is talking about. And the outlets that are constantly searching for new outlets, constantly searching because you, there are so many, some go out of business, some new ones start. It's like a restaurant that you can't go back twice. I'm part of my job is to be up to date with who is where, where is that? Now, this particular host retired three years ago and I had worked with him for almost 20 years and I'm just fiddling around a couple of weeks ago on Google and I found him at another radio station. Oh, and I wrote to him and he said, yeah, I was bored. I came back from it. I said, but you didn't tell me. He goes, oh, I knew you'd find me eventually. For the audience, public relations is a lot of research. You have to research what your client does. You have to research what the media does and you have to research what's happening nationally. So there's a lot of moving parts. I try to get my clients on outlets that will benefit 
them mm-hmm. and at the same time give good sound knowledge to the listeners, the viewers, the readers, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, because it's about the story. It's about them telling their piece of the story. Correct. Correct. And it's not correct. just giving a sales pitch. No sales pitches. They all know that this is non-proprietary. They cannot make it a sales pitch at all. You know, once they understand that, then it's, we understand it. Once they understand it, then it's no longer a problem. But when you get a new client and they're like, well, can I just say this? Well, can I just tell them my name and my email and my phone number? No, you cannot. You can say what your no. You can say what your service is and how it benefits the audience. You cannot sit there and give your contact information until you're asked for it. That's what Google's and, for. Well, at the end of my talking points, I always say, "Oh, this has been a great interview. How can my listeners find you, or how can my viewers find you?" And that, when my client can say, "Oh, I'm, I'm all the contact information out there." If the person doesn't, then they can't, and that's the end. And they have their name, you know, usually on a graphic. Most of the time they give them chance to like say who they are, how they can be found. So what kind of opportunities are they looking for when they come to you? Because why do they want to be in the media? Is it just because they want clients or are they looking for something else? Most don't have in-house marketing, which means that they don't really have anybody focused on, on generating awareness of them because they're small and because they don't have, they're focused on their core competencies and they don't have time to get the word out about them. They want me and people services like this because they know that's what we do. We will come in there and we will kind of drill down to the essence of what they do, why it's important, what's newsworthy about it and take it and run with it. Get them talking, get them writing And even though they don't want to be bothered most of the time, oh, yeah, I'll do that interview. But, you know, I'm not free till Thursday. Well, the reporter has this, the producer has a spot tomorrow at 10. Should I confirm it? Okay. You know, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, that's, that's when you're getting into the really serious publicity and... It's not, hey, I can get you on a podcast sometime. Well, let's just see if, how we can get the schedules to line up. You're talking to people who have specific deadlines. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those deadlines are like yesterday. Most times. Like I am on, I'm on Harrow, help a reporter out. Oh, yeah. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. No, I, that's, I get a lot of my publicity that way. I'm also on ProfNet through PR Newswire, which is a paid version of Harrow. So I get a higher level of queries. Like I get the Wall Street Journal on Harrow. I get like Scary Mommy, which, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> what I'm saying. You get me. <laughs> I mean, my site. Right. I can be a source, but as a okay. journalist, my site it doesn't have enough traffic. Well, according to Google, I get 1.6 thousand a month, wow. but that's not enough. I need now because they've switched from Alexa to another site. I need 5,000 a month. Then I have to get a less than a million on that site, whatever that is. So it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot just for me to get a thousand people to my site every month or 1.6 thousand. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine how you generate that. How, how do you attract, how do you attract visitors to your site? The thing is, is I wasn't getting that many back in November. I was getting, I was getting like 200 300 a month if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And then I got serious. 
about my SEO. I got serious about my email marketing. I got serious about my social media. And in three months, here I am. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And that's really what, you know, the social media, it's really what's propelling everything. I mean, actually, the funny thing is, I get most of my traffic from my backlinks. Like I'll put in a backlink to something like iScoop. Well, Podmatch has been really great lately for getting me traffic. So all of these different backlink sites that I was able to find have gotten me traffic. traffic. It's interesting. It's really yeah. interesting. And it's just a combination of traffic. And then again, I mean, Google has, Google was sending me one or two people a day. And now they're sending me five to eight people a day. That's good. So it's just going to keep on increasing as I keep on increasing my domain. Well, not my domain authority, because as we know, that's a third party. But I continue to grow my website and focus on the SEO as well as everything else. I just decided to do what I do for clients. I decided to do for myself. Well, I mean, Shannon, I, I totally understand that I do publicity for myself. If I do something, if I'm quoted somewhere or like on your show, I will do a press release. But press releases have changed. Like how you write a press release has changed. Press releases, press releases for me are, are, are wonderful because... It allows me opportunity to to get the word out, and then I always combine it with social, so it goes out both ways. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gets more visibility than it ever did before. Right. And I know it's getting visibility because I have people liking it and sharing it. When you did a press release before new media, like back in to a newspaper and stuff, was and when there was editors and oh my god, that was different. Yeah, that more was people. Different. When you wrote that press release in a very formatic, who, what, where, why, when, and how, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to today, where press releases are more, you write an article and you send it out and they just post it. Right. Or you embed the link. I mean, back mm. in the old days, you couldn't, you didn't have a link. There was no, there was no internet. There was no anything. So you couldn't. Yeah, you that. had to put the whole press kit in. Oh, yeah. I remember press kits with the bio and the headshot and the other speaking. Oh, my God. Oh, there's still press kit. I get press kits on here. I've I've got a press kit for my client who wants to be a speaker again. I'm trying to build up press for another client so that I can make him a press release. It's different. You're not having to print it out. The only press kits that I'm seeing are digital. Right. Yeah. I'm not seeing the ones in the the ones I used to do with the two pocket folder, you know, the information I'm seeing digital portfolio type of press kits. Right. They're different. They're still, they still exist, but they're different. They still give the same information just yeah. in a different way. And, and oh, a shareable, everything now is shareable. I think that's the biggest difference. And, and it, it's good. It, it's good in a way. I mean, it's sad to me that all these newspapers have gone under because I used to have, you could send the same press release to, five different editors and get five different pickups. And now there's like one cranky person sitting in the central office and that company owns like five weekly papers. (laughs) And And may or may not get in there. He's not going to put it in all five of the papers. But the other thing too, wasn't it that they just kind of took the press release and quoted from it and took information from it. And now it's almost like you have to do the work, like write the article that they'll just post. 
sometimes, sometimes they post it without changing it. Sometimes they just take a part of it. Yeah. Most times they just take the clip. Okay. So they still, they still write a full article and are just taking little pieces. It's not like, but you know, there's no more full articles anywhere because there's no space. Everything is so short. So they, they're not going to take your whole press release anymore and post it. They'll take what they're interested in. And maybe you get a little headline like New Jersey man on podcast. And then they have John Smith was on Brands Appeal podcast. Here's what he said. And they put the link in. I don't typically do traditional press releases, Mm -hmm. especially when it's a business. Mm -hmm. but my friend opened up a cannabis store in her hometown and it was kind of a big deal. It was kind of a different thing because they were the only locally owned and operated. They were the only women run and they were indigenous owned. So they had, they checked off the woman, they checked off the indigenous and they checked (laughs) off the the local and they checked off the cannabis. So I thought, yeah, this is going to be a good one. This is, this is, this one's probably going to be one that they're going to run with. So I just wrote up kind of an article piece and two people picked it up and published it and they just published it. They didn't they, ask, they didn't call They you, didn't change they it. They didn't. But they didn't want to speak to the, to the client, like to get further information, maybe interview them. They didn't want to do that. Anything. Was There was two other ones that did want to talk to them. Okay. And they wanted, but that was because they were, it was a radio station. They wanted to get them on the radio station. Mm-hmm. They didn't change the copy. They changed the headline and that got us into, that got them into a little hot water. But other than that, actually the hot water was really great because it caused, it caused uh, confrontation mm-hmm. and that's always good. <laughs> as long as as long as you didn't do anything wrong no 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 they they just they just removed the only locally owned and operated women run part oh. and the other cannabis store got really mad because it said the only cannabis store <laughs> right right oh yeah you don't take out the, the one differentiator why they're different than anybody else well, there's three differentiators but yeah <laughs> yeah let's leave them all out and just say woman owns cannabis store you know, a person owns cannabis store yeah, so no. that, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, was just, it was just funny. It was just, it was just kind of funny because he, and he overreacted, but it was great because he blew it up in a small town. Town took sides for a little bit. It's not like everyone in the area didn't know that it was open. Yeah. Was, but when there's something written in this buzz, people want to see what, so what's going on. But the reporter that had put up the article in the beginning, she called me, she goes, okay, if I take it down, what's going on? He says that this isn't the only, I said, no, you didn't read the press release. Presley says said the only locally owned. And then I explained the whole thing to her and she put it right back up. Didn't put locally owned in there. Again. Wow. Yeah. Just at the bottom said, uh, disclaimer, this is the only locally owned woman run indigenous owned. <laughs> it's like a fine print when nobody could see that. Yeah. I think the guy really pissed her off because he, he went after her as a journalist too on social media. Oh, so. no, that you can never do. Yeah. And he I- did. Right. He called his lawyer. He he went in and yelled at my client's employees mm-hmm. and he overreacted, which was good for my client because it got people talking. And when people are talking, it's always a good thing, especially when you are the local people. It's been interesting. Uh, you're talking about something that I absolutely love. It's interesting talking to someone who has been there, who has done that, who knows the ins and outs and has all those great stories. It's all about how to tell a story, how to spin a story, how to create that hook at the beginning to make people interested. Right, right. You have to find what that story is about and just think what is the the essence of it that's going to grab somebody right away. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's, but thank you so much, Amy. And can, where can people find you? Because oh. I'm sure that a bunch of people are going, I want to get in on this. Well, I can be reached at Amy Delman, P is in Peter, R is in Robert at Verizon.net or 201-563-4614. Amy Delman, PR.com. Perfect. And Amy, it will be on your write-up on marketappeal.com slash blog and just look for Amy's article, you know, everything that you need to know about her and how she can help you out and get you in the news. Cause I know everybody would love the chance to be, get some great PR because one, it gets you an audience that you don't know about too. When you put it up there in your social media and say, Hey, I got quoted in this, 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 you get a lot of engagement. You do, you do, because publicity builds upon publicity. So if one in one outlet sees that you were on it, they want you. And it just that's just how it works. And it's and, and not only that, when you post it on your social media, all your friends and family are yes. this <laughs> is wonderful. Look at you, you've made the big time. <laughs> that lasts for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Until you do it again. <laughs> Well, Shannon, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Amy. Listener, I hope that you enjoyed this interview and learned a few things about how you can get your brand story into the news. I want to ask one favor. If you could please just give me a shout out on your social media and tag me and let me know what you like about Brand Appeal. I look forward to hearing about your experiences with this podcast. And don't forget, Market Appeal membership is free at marketappeal.com. And you are more than welcome to drop into the community and share your ideas, ask your questions, and let me know who I should be talking with on Brand Appeal, brand storytelling in the digital age. Peel out.